If you would stand with me for the for prayer and the reading of God's precious word. Let us pray together. Our blessed God, we come again calling upon you to come to us and minister to us, teach us, correct us, Lord, train us in righteousness, Lord, that our hearts would be filled with goodness and truth, filled with the work of the Holy Spirit. Have your word clearly upon our hearts that we might manifest your glory in the things we do in this life and how we live. Come to us now in the name of Christ and teach us, O Lord, not to despise thy holy and good word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, beloved, the word of God this morning from chapter 5, verse 20. Hear now the word of the living God. Do not despise prophetic utterances. And therefore, that ends God's reading. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters, this is the second sermon upon those words. Do not despise prophetic utterances. It's a word, a commandment, it's a negative commandment given by the Apostle Paul to a church that had been very zealous for the Word of God. We read that in chapter 1. They had embraced the Apostle's preaching... They had received what the apostles spoke about Christ. They had embraced the Word of God and they had changed in their living. They were changing in the way they viewed things and how they lived. And they were, they were taking that Word preached to them and they were taking it to their neighbors. They were excited and passionate about the Word of God. And Paul gives this negative injunction because Paul understands... Sinful human nature. Men and women and families that at one time can embrace passionately the Word of God can at another time be cold to it. Paul doesn't want that to happen. Paul wants them to realize that that could be the case and that could happen. Paul doesn't want them to even begin to wander down the path of despising or showing contempt to the Word of God. Don't even begin doing it. Don't even start doing it. And if you start, if you are doing it, stop it right now. Kill it wherever it is in its tracks now. And we're going to look at how we can esteem the Word of God this morning. And if we are guilty of the opposite, what must we do? Kill it. We must put it to death. If we're going to esteem and value the Word of God. When Paul writes and says, do not despise prophetic utterances, that's what the word despise means. It means to show little interest, little value, or no value. It means to show contempt towards the word. Now, brothers and sisters, listen to me. 
When you have a thing or a person that is of great value, and when we treat that thing or that person not in accord with the value of it, we are showing contempt. I hope you understand what I'm saying. That is, we don't treat precious jewelry like fake jewelry. When things of value are in our possessions, we treat them of things like they, like they are. Things with value and we esteem them or we treasure them, we protect them, we watch over them. Just as men in office, they may be valued for their place, for their office, for their position. All men and women are valued because they're made in the image of God. And they are therefore due a certain reverence and esteem. Amen. Because they are made in the image of God. There is an esteem that must be there. And when we don't give each person that that inherent esteem, we are showing contempt. Now relate that to the Word of God. Relate it to the Word of God. That's the, that's the call for us this morning, is to examine ourselves and to see if we are in any way showing contempt upon God's precious Word. Paul here, is he not acting like a father to his children? You know, a father or a mother will tell their children, listen, don't envy your friends. It doesn't mean that the child is guilty of envying at the moment of that negative injunction. But the parent knows this about the child because they know themselves. It's easy to envy others, isn't it? It's commonplace for us to envy other people. And the parent is aiding and helping their child grow up and mature and to fight those sins by saying, don't envy your friends when they have possessions or things or privileges you do not have. Don't envy them. We were reminded by Matthew Henry last week, a commentator that we certainly esteem and enjoy reading from time to time. But he made sure we understand that what Paul means here by prophetic utterances is not that prophesying of the future, but that simple preaching and exposition and explaining of the revealed Word of God, the revealed will of God. That is, Matthew Henry makes it clear that Paul doesn't want those Christians to be guilty of despising the preaching of God's Word. Calvin concurs with that understanding as do a multitude of commentators. So we find ourselves in good company. And what a timely text for us because brothers and sisters, quite frankly, preaching has fallen upon hard times in our own nation and country. In our own community, people are not drawn to the preaching of God's Word, the clear explanation of doctrine and theology, making God known and knowable. We rather fancy in personalities. We fancy with big buildings and big budgets and recreation. 
rather than the knowledge of God in Christ. Preaching has fallen upon hard times, beloved, but it's not something new to our generation. These are these things have happened before us and will happen after us, and we must take note of it so that we don't become guilty of us being guilty of personally despising and showing contempt to the Word of God. I think about the young Charles Haddon Spurgeon, just a young man, barely 20 years old, called to the London Tabernacle uh, Church there in London, and a church that no one wanted to go to. In fact, they couldn't find a minister to fill the pulpit there, and the church had dwindled down to just a handful of people. It was a church that had over time lost its glory and luster in architecture and become moldy and mildewy and musty on the inside. It stunk. Nobody really wanted to go down there. The basement was seeping and filling with water and it had left mold and a stench in the church. And of course, it wasn't a place where the nice people wanted to go. And they called this young preacher to come and fill the pulpit. And he stepped into that pulpit and he just began explaining the Word of God clearly and plainly. He just began preaching the Bible. And the 20 people grew to thousands of people over the years because he was actually preaching the Word of God passionately and zealously like he actually believed the very words he was preaching. When it had become commonplace to go to church and to just hear homilies and to hear stories given, but no power of the gospel of Christ. There was not an impulse for people to believe in Jesus. But that's not the way Spurgeon preached. Spurgeon preached with an unction. He preached with a a priority. Today is the day of salvation. Today you must contend with the Lord. Today you are coming face to face with the invisible and true God through His revealed Word. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with it? That's how Spurgeon preached. And God's people responded. Now, beloved, make no mistake about it. It's hard to fill a church today on the preaching of God's Word. It's hard to fill the place up when all you have is the preaching of God's Word as the primary aspect of worship. Not that the other things aren't important at all. That's not true. It is important the way we sing and celebrate and worship God with our songs, isn't it? It enlivens the soul. It does quicken us. It does feed our souls because we are singing in harmony the Word of God. His precious truths. Prayer is important. How we pray, how we call upon God. Do we offer up some sterile uh, catalog of words as if we're just speaking to the pulpit or speaking to the thin air? Or are we talking to God Almighty when we pray? That when we ask God to do something, we are, we are waiting in expectation for our God to move. You pray like that. There will be a difference in your life. 
When you pray with the expectation that you are by faith before the living God, it'll change the way you pray and it'll change the way you hear others pray. You see, beloved, make no, we need personal revival. We need revival. And when you have true revival, whether it's on a mass scale or an individual or a family, that revival is always, always, always connected with the Word of God. Always. That person that is under that impulsion of the Holy Spirit can't get enough of God's Word. They, are, they have an insatiable appetite. They want to know God and they, oh, they know they must read the Word of God. They must hear it taught and they must hear it preached. You can't get enough. You can't get enough. And you may be here this morning and you remember those days and you remember those months or you remember that season of your life when you had an insatiable appetite for the Word of God. When you couldn't get enough of the teaching of God's Word. When all you wanted to do was read it and read it and understand it and talk about it. You may be here now. It's been some time since you've had those passions And you barely even speak of the Word of God. When someone brings it up, you can barely carry on a conversation because you have no interest in it. Or at least very little interest. Well, brothers and sisters, this sermon is for you this morning. This sermon is directed to you that your hearts might be kindled with the fire of the Holy Spirit. And the Word of God may again become precious to you. Again. We have the great privilege and delight of being in the um, flow of history called the Reformed faith. And the Reformed faith has the, a rich inheritance of a high view of Scripture. We are the children and the great, 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 great grandchildren of a Reformation that highly exalted the glory of God and set forth the primacy of the Word of God. Not the will of men. Not the inventions of men. See, we don't need clever pastors. We don't need innovative pastors. We don't need celebrity ministers. We need faithful ministers and we need men that can handle the Word of God and is not scared to preach it and teach it in season or out of season. The quote from our own confession of faith, beloved. It says this in the very opening paragraph of that confession... It says, although the light of nature and the work of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness of God, or manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God, as to leave men inexcusable, yet are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of His will which is necessary unto salvation? Now the confession says that creation in all of its glory, people know God. But at That knowledge that we gain from seeing the creation, it can't save you. Now listen to the next statement. Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal Himself and to declare that His will unto His church. 
And afterwards, for the better preserving and uh, propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit the same holy unto writing, which makes the holy scripture to be most necessary, whose former ways of God revealing His will unto His people now being ceased. Our confession of faith, beloved, says that it pleased God to take His revelation and to take His will and to put it into writing so that we might be a stronger, more sure up faithful people. Because we have it right here. In that same chapter, there's another paragraph. Listen to this. And as it talks about the high view and the majesty of God's holy word. He says, we may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of the holy scriptures and the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give God all glory. The full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, the many other incomparable excellencies and the entire perfection thereof are arguments whereby it does abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God. Yet notwithstanding our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth, And divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. Amen. Let me break it down to you in Southern. None of us are smart enough to figure it out on our own. God and the person of the Holy Spirit comes and sweetly introduces us to the revealed will of God. And makes us love it. Kindles our souls. He puts a flame in our hearts. And beloved. We can either excite that flame. Or in our disobedience. We can hamper that flame. But we come. Brothers and sisters. Today. We stand in the stream of a rich heritage of faith. And practice. This morning I wish to make six major points as to how we are to esteem the Word of God. I'm going to give you six major points on how we are to esteem God's Word. And if we are not, if we are not Doing these things, brothers and sisters, it's contempt. It's contempt. All of us, to one degree or another, to one degree or another, have areas to grow. Amen? All of us have ways in which we can in a higher way esteem the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Number one, we show an esteem 
for the Word of God when we desire everyone to read it. Simple, isn't it? I bet you were ready for something deep and profound and highly theological. But guess what? That's exactly where our catechism starts, the larger catechism. Our spiritual forefathers have taught us that we highly esteem the Word of God when we desire every man and woman, boy and girl to read the Word of God. We desire it so much that we want the Word of God translated in all of the common vernacular and language. That's why uh, ministries like the Tyndall Bible or missionaries uh, are important because they translate other languages into the Word of God so that they might have a Bible of their own to read it. That they may learn by the Spirit of God to treasure it, cherish it, honor it, live it out. And to speak of it to others. I'll submit this to you, beloved. This is the fundamental reason to want to know how to read. You young people, take note. Your lessons, your education, the fundamental reason we want to teach our children to learn how to read is not so they won't be ignorant in the public, and that's not, that's not a good thing. But that they may know God in Christ, that they may be able to read His Word, that they would learn to cherish it, to honor it, that they would learn to hide it in their hearts, that they would learn to walk with God and to be His son and daughter. Beloved, that's why you want to read. That's why you want to read the Scriptures, and that's why you want others to read it. Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, oh, a young man whose mother had taught you from the earliest of days the Word of God which is able to save your soul. We need, beloved, to be like the Thessalonians who... Paul brags about and he says, oh, how all of the region there in chapter 1, all of them are speaking about you. They're speaking about your love for the Word of God. They're speaking about your changed life and they're talking about you. Number one, we want people to read it. I wish I could show you a video right now. I wouldn't, but if I could. I'd want to show you a video that I watched many years ago that brought me to my knees. And it's a video of missionaries bringing the Bible for the first time to a group of people that had never had the Word of God in their language before. They sang and they danced. And they held those Bibles. They were just little paperback Bibles that you would not esteem. 
For you hold premium leather version Bibles. You paid big money for yours. These were simple paperback Bibles. And they sang and they danced and they held those Bibles up. And they sang hymns and they praised God. For they had never had the Word of God in their own language. But now they did. And they wept and they, oh, they were so happy. And I thought, how the gold has lost its luster here. How the treasure has lost its luster. How the flame has grown dim. How we cannot attract people in our own country with the preaching, teaching, reading of God's Word that we must add numerous things to it in order to draw interests. And yet we have people in the world today that will sing and dance for a paperback Bible in their own language. Have mercy upon us, Lord. Forgive us for being cold and hard to the very Word of God that sits on our tables and upon our shelves. Secondly, beloved, we want not only to give the Word of God to every person, we want people to read it and to live it out. We want it lived out. We don't want just people to to recite it in poetry. We don't want people to just use it in philosophy. We don't want it just to become a book of ethics. If you really want to be a good person, maybe try the Bible. No. For the Holy Spirit should have witnessed in your heart that it's the way to know God and to walk with Him and to fellowship with Him in Christ. Read it. Esteem it. Read the Bible with a firm persuasion. That is, beloved, that not only should we own a Bible, we should know how to handle the Word of God. We should know how to read it. And we want people to know how to read it. Therefore, they must be taught. They must be instructed. There must be conversation. There must be a high and reverent esteem for the Word in ourselves. And that's what we see in Scripture. What do we see all of God's servants doing when they're handling the Word of God? They are handling it with a high and reverent esteem. With a firm persuasion that what they are handling is the very Word of God. And that's what Paul says of the Thessalonians. He said, oh, you not just received our preaching as being from uh, ministers or preachers, uh, communicators. You received our preaching as it, as it was, as it is, as the Word of God come to you. You know why the confession of faith goes through a list of the 66 books of the Bible? Certainly we should know it. Come to know it. But the reason they list out the 66 books of the Bible is so that we know exactly what is Scripture. Because there are a lot of pseudo-Scriptures out there. The Gospel according to Thomas. The lost Gospels of Judas. The Epistle of Barnabas. You know, you always have these people springing up from time to time that say, well, no, the Bible's a good book and all. It's a good book. But you know, 
they left the epistle of Judas out. And it's not complete. That is, you can read it and, you know, certainly value it, but it's not a complete revelation of the Word of God. Wrong. Wrong. We have the complete Word of God and there's nothing else to be added to it. No epistle of Judas, no epistle of Barnabas, none of the Gnostic Gospels. You have a very complete Bible and don't listen to the garbage. Because that's exactly what it is. It's garbage. The idea that God would leave His church for several thousand years without a full revelation of His will is preposterous. He would not do that. As we read the Bible, beloved, we certainly ought to read the Bible with a high enthusiasm, with an attention to keeping it as our very own souls. That when I'm obeying the Word of God, I'm protecting my own soul. I'm protecting the promises of God. I'm watching over my feet. I'm watching over my path. I'm learning to die to myself. Oh, beloved, memorize Proverbs 3, 5. Lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. Learn to die to yourself. Learn to submit to the revealed Word of God. And learn like the psalmist does in 119 verse 18 in Proverbs 2 verses 1 through 6. Learn to cry out to God to open your eyes to see the wondrous things of His Word. You know, when we pick up the Bible and we read our little verse of the day and we toss it to the side, I dare say that's not, you know, good you picked it up and read it. But did you show contempt when you just read it and tossed it to the side without calling upon the God who wrote it and saying, teach me, O Lord, thy ways. For I'm a stubborn old guy. I'm a stubborn old gal. And I need to be instructed. I need to be taught. I need to be led. I need to be changed. And change me. Thirdly, beloved, we want the Word of God to be preached. We not only want it to give out the Bible in other languages, we, we not only want to read it accurately and appropriately, Handle it rightly. But we want the Word of God to be preached. We want it to be heralded. We want the Word of God to be proclaimed. And, and what does this have to do with us? Well, we don't want to give ourselves to the fancies of the day. We don't want to give ourselves to the, to the modern movements of innovation so that people are interested and will join our churches in anything other than the preached will of God, the revelation of God in Christ. I mean, if they're not satisfied with God in Christ, if they're not satisfied with His Word, why do you want to be a member of a church? Why do they want to submit to Him? Why, why do you want to worship a God that you really don't care about? You see, that's why we need preachers. And that's why in our heritage of the Reformed faith that they make a point to say that the people that ought to preach the Word of God are those who are qualified to preach it. We don't just let anybody handle the Word of God in a public worship service. We don't just let anybody who says, I think I ought to be a preacher. 
Step into the pulpit and start a church. How many churches exist today because someone felt like they could do it and just did it themselves without being gifted, called, and appointed by the appropriate graces and authorities? You see, we take highly. We esteem the Word of God by what? Training men. Men examining their call to see if they can truly, uh, are they truly called to the ministry of the Word? Are their lives in order? Are their families in order? Are they able to handle the Word of God? Have they been gifted to proclaim and to preach the Word of God? Are they, do they have a tendency toward pleasing men? All of these things are important. Why? Because we value and esteem the Word of God not only when we want people to read it, not only when we want, it to read, when we want them to read it accurately and to handle it with honor, but that we have men who are approved by God to preach it and proclaim it. And we don't take that lightly. We don't take that lightly. We just don't let anybody... Handle carelessly the Word of God and expect God to be okay with it. A sermon like your life has the first primary goal is to glorify God. The sermon's first primary goal is not to please the people. It's it's an offering of faithfulness to God. That's the first purpose. Not only are men to be called. In fact, let me just show you a passage of Scripture in order to help us. Turn to Romans chapter 10. This is a passage of Scripture that most people honestly do not even realize is in their Bibles. But Romans chapter 10. Look at verse 14. Or let's, look, let's back up. Um, Verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord over all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who hast believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now we see in that passage of Scripture, beloved, just how important preachers are and what they're called to. Which brings us to our fourth point, and that is because of the value and esteem we place upon the Word of God in calling, making sure men are called and qualified and gifted to preach the gospel, it's also uh, it's also incumbent upon those preachers to handle the Word of God in a certain manner. How they preach it. 
How they bring the word of God. That is, we can show disdain and contempt for the word of God as a congregation when we, when you don't care how I bring you the word of God. And I don't care how I give you the word of God. I just serve it up like cold leftovers and go, well, you ought to take it because you're a Christian and it's the word of God. Eat it. That's not how we treat the word of God. Like it's leftovers. That's, and that shouldn't be how you want to get it and receive it. You see, beloved, there's a healthy relationship in the ministry of the Word of God when the people of God highly esteem the Word of God and honor it in such a way that you are prepared to receive it, but how it's communicated and conveyed to you is very important to you because you don't want God's Word mishandled. You don't want God's word mistreated, do you? Do you? How should the minister handle the word of God? What sh- how should we desire for preaching to be done? Well, first of all, beloved, like, like the Christian life, preaching is hard work. It's work. You know, when the apostles in the book of Acts, the church was growing exceedingly. And, and they were trying to take care of the widows of the church. And there was an argument that broke out between the factions of the widows. And, and the Holy Spirit had moved upon the apostles to appoint deacons in the church so that those men could serve the body while the apostles dedicated themselves to prayer and the study of God's Word. Why? Because they had to preach it. They had to preach it. They had to preach sound doctrine. They had to rightly divide the Word of Truth. Look at 2 Timothy, um, or 1 Timothy 2. I think it's 1 Timothy 2. No, 2 Timothy 2. Now, Paul is reminding Timothy to be an unashamed workman of the gospel, minister of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, he says, Remind them of these things, these things he's already said. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved of God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And I'll just stop there. That Timothy is to devote himself to handling the word of God accurately and appropriately. Why? Well, beloved, listen to me. It's the job of every Christian minister to get out of the way and to let the Word of God be primary in the preaching of the gospel. Get out of the way. Let the Word of God shine forth and come forth to the hearts and the minds of the people because that's what the Holy Spirit is going to use. He's not going to use novel stories. Not that illustrations can't be helpful, but they're not saving The Word of God is a saving means of grace that the Spirit uses in our lives. So the minister wants to study the Word. He wants to study His doctrines so he can proclaim them and get himself out of the way. 
We don't need, again, I'm going to repeat myself. To the congregation that puts more pride in the personality and position of the minister, oh, we have so-and-so as our pastor, as of nothing. As of nothing. The point being is he should be cherished because he handles the Word of God faithfully and he feeds my soul. He feeds my home. He feeds me the promises of God. They are to labor diligently, plainly, and faithfully. Oh, those words, plainly and faithfully. They're to make known the whole counsel of God's Word. Acts 20, verse 27, Paul said, I met with you night and day, and I did not cease explaining to you the whole counsel of God's Word. What, what, how is that important? Well, we have churches today and people that have gathered together, and they want to focus on evangelism. And that's all they want to talk about. Nothing wrong with evangelism. You need to be evangelizing. We need to be evangelizing church. Nothing wrong with evangelism. But that's not the focus. Primary focus. That's a focus. That's, that's a, that, that is a sub-point to the glory of God. There are churches today want to focus on um, counseling. That's all they talk about. Want to focus on eschatology, the end times. You see all these, all these uh, end time uh, seminars, right? The end of the world is coming. And that's all they want to talk about is the end of the world. So you have all these various things that, that, that the church gives itself over to. But you know why they're anemic? And you know why they're... It, it's, like, it's like feeding children cotton candy all the time. You're just not going to get healthy. Because they're not feasting on the whole counsel of God's Word. See, it's not, it, this pulpit is not for the preacher's pet doctrines. And you need to learn to esteem the whole counsel of God's Word, not just bits and pieces of it. You say, well, I like these passages. Well, I like the parables. Well, I like the Gospels. Well, I like the prophets of the Old Testament. You know, I like the epistles of Paul better than Peter. Point being is, all of it should become precious and treasured by us. All of it. The whole counsel of God's Word. And make no mistake, beloved, as we continue to look and apply this Word, it's not just so that we might set it up on a shelf, but that we might apply it, and that the outcome would be a zealous life for God in Christ. Okay? What's the outcome of the preaching of the Gospel to you this morning? Is it going to be a zealous life for, for God in Christ? Is it going to be a zeal kindled and fanned into flame for the means of grace, the Word of God? Do you want to read the Word of God when you leave here? Or will you just consider, well, the pastor was animated this morning. Oh, the pastor, well, you could tell he was really excited about this one. Oh, Pastor Stanfield, he was on a roll this morning, but do you, beloved want to read the Word of God? Do you want more of it? Because this is not enough. This is not enough. The aim, beloved, of the preaching of every sermon by every gospel minister is so that his people would glorify him. That's it. Not to think he's special. Not to think they're the only church in town. 
not to think any of those arrogant and haughty thoughts, but that God's people would learn to glorify God, die to self, die to sin, and learn to live in the image of God in Christ. What about receiving of the Word? We talked, you know, how can we... How can we esteem the Word, beloved? Well, we can esteem the Word highly in this congregation by the way we receive it preached and taught, right? We talked about the minister and his faithfulness and his labors and the way and the zeal and the passion he needs to have as he comes to the Word of God, as he studies it, works hard to understand it and teach it to the people. But how do you come to the preaching of God's Word? Do you just come and you know, just filter into the congregation, sit down and go, okay, let's get this over with and I can get about my business? Or do you come to truly attend the means of grace for your salvation? Do you come to feast upon that eternal manna that God has given so that you can, on that day of judgment, hear Christ say to you, Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Do you see the Word of God as your eternal inheritance? How you treat the Word is how you think about God at that moment. Well, if one of my children walk out of the house and I say, listen, be home by 10 o'clock. And that child walks right out of the house and they get in the car with their friend and they say, well, what, you know, how late can we stay out? And that child, and my, my child says, well, you know, dad wants me home at 10, but 12 will be fine. Did not that child just reveal to their friend what they thought of the parent? Did they not just do that? Did they not just reveal contempt to the parent by making such a statement? Yes. And yet, beloved, how you think about the Word of God right now is how you think about God. That's why receiving the Word of God, that's why coming and preparing yourself to receive the Word of God is so important. And that's why, beloved, the confession says in the larger catechisms that we would come to attend to the preaching with diligence, preparation, and prayer, examining what we hear with the Word of God. Yeah. Examining Acts 17, being a Berean, taking, saying, oh, well, Pastor Stanfield would never mislead us. How important is your soul? How important is your eternal life? How important is your communion with Christ? You need to double check what I preach. And if you don't, you really don't care. It's contempt. Be a Berean. Look it up. Examine it with Scripture. And ask the Lord of glory who walks amidst the, cap, the candlesticks to examine your own heart. And say, Lord, if there be any way in me that doesn't comport with your word, conform me to it. Grant me repentance. And help me walk in the light of your word. We are to receive the word with faith and love meekness and a readiness of mind to obey it. Wow. 
We have a day in our, you know, this day where preaching is falling upon hard times when people say things like, well, that's the preacher's opinion. And it may be. But what if it's not the preacher's opinion and it is the word, the cold truth of God's word or the hot truth of God's word? What if he's preaching the faithful word of God to you and then you're going to walk away and go, well, that's his opinion. Well, that's not what I think. And without examining the word of God, have you not just harmed your own soul? Have you not just harmed your own soul? Beloved, that we would receive the truth with faith. Belief. If God tells us not to envy one another, let us not envy one another. If God tells us not to be arrogant and prideful, let us not be guilty of arrogance and pride. If God tells us to love one another, let us work at loving one another. If God tells us to walk with Him in the common means of grace, let us walk with Him in the common means of grace. See, why are we seeking other things to fill the void in our hearts and lives? When God is everything to his elect. God is everything to his children. Proverbs 8 verse 34. Blessed is the man that hears me, saith the Lord. Watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. Oh, beloved. In your history of Christianity... Have you stopped waiting by the door for Christ? Have you stopped waiting on the precious sound of the voice of the Lord in your heart? Have you stopped treasuring the Word of God in your life? You've given up. You've you've gotten bored with it. You've walked back inside. You're not waiting. You're not expecting. You're not ready to receive the Word. You've grown bored with it. You've grown indifferent. You treat it with contempt. Because there are many other things that you would rather be doing than studying and reading and hearing the Word of God preached. Have mercy upon us, Lord. Because we have all been there. We may be there now. And there's a way out. That way out, beloved, starts with repentance. That way out. How does that flame of the Holy Spirit grow? By making use of the means of grace and faith and love. Learn to love. Brothers and sisters, what did, the, what did Jesus tell the church at Ephesus? Come back to your first love. Start doing the things you used to do. Start praying like you used to pray. Start reading like you used to read. Start talking to people like you used to talk to other people. Start, you know, find mature Christians around you that can help you understand the Word of God. That's what you need to do. And guess what God will do? God will honor your esteem for His Word and He will fan that flame into a blaze. You see, beloved, you know what we need this morning? We all need personal revival. We all need that flame within us that's burning to get hotter. Where we cannot get enough of God's precious word. So that we, brothers and sisters, will not be guilty of despising 
prophetic utterances. Let's pray.